everyone, and welcome to this episode of Selling Gene, the podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Harris, and I'm happy to introduce my guest to you, Christopher McDonald. He is the global head of technical operations at Kite Pharma. We're going to dive into Kite's recent FDA approval of manufacturing process change uh, that resulted in reduced median turnaround time for Yaskarta, but we will get into all that. But before we do, uh, Chris, welcome to Selling Gene, the podcast. I'm really happy you're here. Well, thanks, Aaron. I appreciate uh, you making the time for me. And I'm calling in from a very gloomy, rainy Santa Monica, which you don't say that that often. I was going to say, I don't really feel badly for you. So (laughs) 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 I'm in the Northeast. And so uh, it's it's 40 degrees and it's a heat wave. So (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) are literally flooding here uh, today. So it's, it's, uh, it's definitely uh, the rainiest I probably have seen it in Southern California. Oh my goodness. Oh, well, all right. Well, I'm glad you're joining us for this podcast and hopefully you can get your mind off the rain a little bit. Um, All right. So for our listeners who probably, I'm assuming everybody knows, but just in case, uh, it was recently announced that the FDA has approved shortening the manufacturing time for Kite's CART T cell therapy, Yaskarta. Yaskarta, we know, is a one-time treatment currently approved for relapsed refractory large B-cell lymphoma and follicular lymphoma. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, for listeners who may not have heard the news or who even may have heard the news, um, the new, like we said, the new median turnaround time uh, from leukapheresis to product release in the U.S. Talk to us about the time frame. The manufacturing time was reduced from what to what? And yeah. Why. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, I think we're really excited about this approval. Uh, um, and, and as you indicated, we're, we expect that we'll be going from a 16 day median turnaround time down to a 14 day and 16 days currently is the industry's best. Um, and so, um, you know, while, while I, what I would point out is that while we're making improvements, where we're starting is, is currently the industry best. And, and what we've been able to do, one of our scientists um, had an idea in, in the labs uh, if, a couple of years ago and, and, and really, um, you know, had an idea about a process improvement. And as we uh, did some studies in the labs, we found that that process improvement could actually reduce the manufacturing time from seven days to five days and, uh, and, and you know, demonstrate that, you know, we had comparable product. And so we were able to make that change, reducing our manufacturing time, which, you know, ultimately reduces our overall turnaround time. Um, you know, I, I think you you probably know this, but Yaskarta is the first and only treatment that has demonstrated overall survival, a standard of care in the second line treatment of, uh, you know, you know, these very sick patients and it has a curative in, intent. And, and what we know is the faster you can get to these patients, these patients are really sick. The faster you can get to these patients, the more likely they are to receive the treatment. And so super excited about the change and, and the impact it's going to have on patients. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And we'll talk a little bit more about the significance for the patient uh, more broadly in the later on in this conversation. But um, I want to talk a little bit about the pathway to approval. Um, we, we know the importance of working with the FDA and, and certainly what that looks like. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the most significant steps that Kite had to take to reach this approval? You know, what did you do to work with the FDA? When did you start? What did it look like? Can you talk us through that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, anytime you're making a major life cycle management uh, improvement, uh, it's 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 not easy, especially for a uh, you know a current licensed product. And so, 
I, I mentioned a little bit about how we have process development scientists who who came up with ideas, did did studies in the labs, and that was really the beginning of it versus the end of it. You know, from that point, uh, we completed uh, significant characterization studies demonstrating the comparability of of the process. Uh, we interacted with FDA, filed a comparability protocol with them that they reviewed and approved, and then we had to execute uh, tech tech transfer to two of our large manufacturing facilities. We have a commercial manufacturing facility in El Segundo, California, and another one in, in Frederick, Maryland, that are both producing for the U.S., demonstrate that they could produce um, the material comparable, comparable and gather all that data, do all the analytical testing, uh, put together a, a regulatory filing and file it with, with FDA. And so... Um, so yeah, it, it you know sometimes it seems like oh yeah we just we we simplified our manufacturing process, but it really took years to to work through this and and get it executed across uh, our manufacturing plants. Sure, sure, okay. Um, from having worked with the FDA, not only uh, certainly for the, the the life of Yescarta, but also for this particular approval, you know, maybe talk to us a little bit some of the, some of the lessons learned back. To best practices that you can now look back um, that you and your team have learned from having worked on this particular approval with the FDA? Yeah. Uh, well, and I, I think, you know, even across my entire career, I've been in this industry for over 30 years. I, you know, FDA plays an instrumental part in making sure that we can deliver products to patients. And, um, and you know, and I, and you know, I think our relationship with them is is really good, and and we have very collaborative discussions with them. And I, and I guess that's the one thing that I would say is I I think getting uh, with the FDA and presenting your plans to them uh, early, uh, they can help shape those and and make sure that you're providing them the data that they need. Um, but I would say the one thing that you know, often I, I hear people say, why don't we just go ask FDA? And, and um, you know, I, I think the one you know, thing that I would make sure and, and recommend is that when you go ask FDA, you bring data. Right. And I, I think the, they're very data driven and scientific. And um, and so, uh, you know, I think Kite does a really good job of understanding what the needs of FDA are. And, and then when we engage them and have discussions with them around things like this, we're bringing the right level of data and having the right level of discussions with them. Good. Okay. Um, I do want to ask a quick question about the, in the every, you're not the only person, even Dr. Peter Marks has been on our podcast twice and he often uses, oh, work with the FDA early. Um, but I'm always sort of stymied by the word early. Uh, yeah. what, what do you mean by early? You know, how early is early? What is early? If, you know, yeah, yeah. I, well, define that. <laughs> I, I agree. And I think, you know, I think to your point, it's uh, the definition of early is when you actually have something to talk about. I mean, and, in, 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 you know, and so I think, um, you know, it'd be great if you could just you know, brainstorm uh, with them. But I, I really do think the more data that you can bring into the conversations and have it be a scientific conversation uh, rooted in data, the more successful the discussion and, and the more fruitful the discussion is going to be. And so Dr. Marks does all, often talk about uh, going to them early. And there are mechanisms of getting in front of FDA uh, in, in different forums and different types of meetings. Um, you know, type C meetings, et cetera. Um, but, but again, I think if you have an idea, if you have data backing that idea, that it makes the conversation a lot more fruitful. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I think it's, you know, so, so early, I mean, the definition of early, I think it's early when you've actually generated some data, if that makes sense. That's a great definition. 
and uh, a, a very concrete one. So thank you. Um, all right, I want to go back a little bit and talk about, you know, at the top of our discussion, we did briefly mention the significance of uh, this approval on the patient. And, you know, if we could dive into that a little bit more, you know, how how is this really impacting the patient who is, you know, the recipient of Yascarta at the end of the day? And then just, you know, cell therapies in general, where, you know, where are we with, um, you know, CAR T cell therapy on the, and it's significant on the patient now and in the near future? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I think, I, I think I saw in one article, it said incremental improvements and, um, you know, and it, to me, it almost seemed like it was downplaying maybe the, the actual improvement. Um, every day does matter for these patients. And so these patients are, are extremely sick. I, you know, I, I think one testament of, of, how important this is, is I have actually had colleagues from competing CAR-T companies reach out and congratulate us and me personally on, on making this improvement. Because I think we, when you're in this industry, you understand, um, again, how important the turnaround time is for the, you know, for the patient. And we're, we're the best, and I mentioned this earlier, we're the best in the industry with our 16-day turnaround, turnaround time, now becoming a 14-day turnaround time. But even with that, we often have patients cancel their treatments because their disease progresses well they're waiting for the therapy. And so, um, you know, I think, I think the point is, is that, um, every day does really matter. Every day matters for these patients. And, and I'm so excited about this 14 days and, 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 you know, shaving two days off our turnaround times. But I also want to point out that that's, we're not stopping there and, and we need to continue. The industry needs to continue, but Kite needs to continue to make the investments to continue to drive that turnaround time, um, and, and, and really be able to deliver for patients. Yeah, sure, certainly. And I think, you know, Kite certainly is the premier uh, company in the industry doing so. Um, and, and one of many companies that are doing wonderful things in this space, for sure. Um, I want to talk a little bit kind of broadly, actually, about your thoughts on um, scaling up technologies for cell therapy manufacturing. We, we cover this a lot in, or excuse me, on Cell and Gene. And um, I'm always interested to talk to my guests on this podcast about what some of the lessons that they've learned um, from attempting to and actually being able to scale up technologies for cell therapy manufacturing. You know, what 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 are some of the lessons you've learned along the way? Yeah, I can probably talk to you for a couple hours on this. It's uh, it's top of mind, I think, for the industry and for me personally. Um, you know, a, a few things. I think my own. Uh, yeah, I've been with Kite over you know five years and um, and joined Kite to build um, our plant in Maryland, which was uh, and is rooted in in automation technology. And and so uh, been studying this for five years. But I think just recently, um, you know, I've I've had some evolution of my own thoughts around automation. Um, so I, I guess real quick, let me just start by saying some of my ahas are um, sometimes you hear people in the industry saying, oh, we have this novel automation technology or automation is going to solve the cost problem. And all of a sudden, the cost of manufacturing is going to come down substantially. But really, the cost of delivering to patients from um, you know, the logistics cost of shipping the apheresis and the material cost and, and the manufacturing costs, the, the quality control costs, 
um, there's there's a lot that goes into the overall value chain and and the direct labor of manufacturing is is a significant part of it but not the only part of it and so uh, the one thing I would say is automation is not going to be the silver bullet for reducing the costs and and so we're really focused on not just the manufacturing automation but also the the QC automation and uh, we're really focused on technologies that help us improve our logistics and and I guess the point being is that you can't just tackle manufacturing from an automation perspective, you really need to ch- tackle the entire va- uh, value stream. Um, I think the second thing I've learned is that, um, you know, you a lot of times you think, okay, I'm going to um, implement this automation and it's it's going to reduce my costs. But what you find is that the material costs sometimes are as much as your labor costs. And so you implement automation and you might be reducing your labor costs, but you might be increasing your material costs. Um, and so I, I guess in, in that frame, I've been thinking about that for a while. And I was like, well, that's no good. Why would you automate if that were the case? Um, but but I guess my most recent learning is is one of the hardest things to do within cell therapy is to, is to really um, forecast accurately. And I think Kite's in a much better position than... Uh, some of the smaller companies, because now we have we have the scale and and we're able to react to upsides in demand and downsides in demand. But I think if you're a smaller company and then all of a sudden your product takes off, do you have the scale to manufacture it? The less people that it takes, the more important it is to be automated. Uh, or I'm sorry, the, the less people it takes, the, the easier it is to respond to that upside demand. And so the, the more important automation might play. And so I, I do think automation is really important. I think it's, uh, again, not just about manufacturing but it's about the entire value chain and and so how do you how do you really drive that yeah sure yeah. makes perfect sense um and yes while automation is a key component it's not the whole it's not the entire answer so yep. uh makes perfect sense um i want to talk a little bit about your role as global head of technical operations and how you specifically played a part in this FDA approval. Um, talk us through exactly what you and your team had to do with bringing this over the finish line. Yeah, well, I I don't really do anything. <laughs> My wife calls me useless overhead. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, I uh, what I would say is we we have a great team uh, at Kite, and we often talk about it being a team sport. Um, cell therapy manufacturing and cell therapy delivery is real, really a team sport. It's not just across tech ops, but across the entire uh, team at Kite. But but I think within the tech ops organization, really a lot of people had to come together from process development to manufacturing to quality to regulatory affairs um, and and come together to put together the implementation plan and 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 execute upon it. And you know without without them, I you know we we wouldn't have gotten this done. And and I think you know I think the one thing I want to mention is Kite. It's really a special place to work. I think it's it's the one place that I've worked in my career that's truly, truly patient focused. Um, and I think it's you know the the fact that you know we literally have patient cells in our hands on a daily basis, and and the importance of our work to the patient outcome is is just it just resonates with with our staff. Um, you know, maybe more so than other places I've worked in the past. And I'm not saying manufacturing doesn't play an important role uh, across the, you know, the biopharma industry, but typically what I used to make would be getting sold two years 
from now, you know, out of inventory. And what we're making today is being infused into a patient within 16 days often, yeah. right? And so, um, so the, uh, you know, I really think the contribution uh, that, that te technical operations makes to successful CAR-T uh, is so important and so close to the patients that it just creates this really special place to work where people are willing to go above and beyond to, to deliver. And, and, uh, and I think the team really has done that for this, um, you know, this five-day, uh, uh, you know, uh, manufacturing process improvement in the 14-day turnaround times that we're seeing. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And I, and I do love the degree of altruism that goes into everyone who is on your team and, you know, employed by Kite to bring these therapies to uh, the people who need them even faster. So that's great. Um, okay. So, but what are your, what are your, say, top goals for the tech ops team for this year? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, uh, we have the industry's best uh, turnaround time success rate. Um, the other thing I think that you know, we understand the importance of is is making sure we have capacity when when the patient needs it, and so um, carrying the extra capacity so that if if uh, a patient's prescribed Yescarda to Cardis today, they can they can be apheresist you know immediately, and 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 so that you know that sometimes we talk about turnaround time, but we don't maybe emphasize the importance of having the capacity as well so that the patient doesn't have to go on a waiting list. And, and so I, you know, I guess my most important goal every year is to make sure that we do the best we can to deliver to the patients. But then secondly, I think it's, you know, how do we approve? And, and I often say internally, um, we're the best in the industry at what we do, yet we're not good enough. And so how do we continue to improve? How do we drive that? And, um, you know, how do we continue to work on our turnaround times? How, you know, at 96% success rate sounds in incredible, but, you know, we've treated 17,700 patients to date. And so I think about the, that 4% that we had failures on, how do we continue to improve upon that and drive that even higher? That's wonderful. And then the patients who uh, you're currently treating and will be and will treat in the future um, are counting on that. So that's great. Yep. Um, all right. So we've reached the end of our episode and I my guests hopefully know by now that at the end, I like to get to know who my guests are when they're not in the office or the lab, you know, helping to create life saving therapies. Um, and as we talked about at the top of the call, you reside in California. Uh, Obviously today, like you said, it's teeming rain, so <laughs> probably needed, but at the same time, you know, not, not the best day in California, uh, weather-wise. Um, but here's my question. So you obviously work and reside in California. If you had to move or live anywhere else, where would you go and why? Yeah, well, I have, in my career, I've moved, I think, 10 times now, um, and typically not not short moves, typically cross country moves. And, and so I've, I've covered the U S uh, multiple times and, uh, and I've gotten to live in a lot of great places, but I, I think the one place, uh, that always calls me back is Colorado. And, uh, and so I've lived, uh, in Boulder, Colorado and just outside of Boulder, Colorado on three different occasions. And, uh, and so I know there will be a fourth occasion. I, you know, I, I really uh, hope and expect that, uh, this, the job I'm in now is my last job. And, uh, I love working for Kite. I love what we do every day. Um, you know, and then I, I expect that a moving van will be carrying my stuff to, to Colorado when I'm, when I'm finished. Oh, that's great. That's great. And uh, I hope that as you, you know, you near the exit ramp, that, you know, moving truck is waiting for you to head right to Colorado. Um, 
I have not actually, well, in all of my travel, I have never been to Colorado, maybe through an airport, but that's about it. Yeah, so, well, I've heard wonderful things. Yeah, it's a, you know, from my perspective, it's 300 sunny days a year and a lot of outdoor activities. And I love to snowboard and hike and, and uh, I'm a cyclist. And so uh, I, I think it's a great place to live and uh, uh, great people. And, and I love Southern California. I've actually had never lived here and been here for three and a half years. And I, the weather, oh, my gosh, it'll be hard to leave the weather. Um, sure. But uh, but yes, I will we'll get it, be excited to get back to Boulder. That's wonderful. I hope you make it there. And uh, I hope it's, uh, you know, I'm certain that when the time comes, we'll be sad to see you go, but I'm excited for you and your family as you, you know, move out to Colorado when that day comes. That's exciting. All right. Well, listeners, that's it for this episode of Selling Gene, the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to hear my discussion with Kite Farmers, excuse me, Chris McDonald. Chris, thank you so much for your time. This was a lot of fun and really informative. Aaron, thank you. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. Absolutely. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.